I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Nothing Impossible. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on News Radio 1120 KMOX. Meow? Is that how we should start the show? I love when you're just like, so what should we talk about? And my first answer is, Rally cat. I have, uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? Uh, I understand that the paw prints match the one that was found. And, you know, that's uh, that's great news for the Cardinals, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Although I'm a dog fan, so I'd prefer rally dog. But that's yeah. just me. Yeah, maybe they'll sell Personal rally opinions. dogs. Yeah. Somebody just needs to let a dog out at the stadium when we're losing by like 10 runs. And when we come back, everybody will love dogs well, at take that Lucy, point, right? Take Lucy to the ballpark. You've, she's been there before. <laughs> I have done that yeah. before. Uh, welcome to Nothing Impossible. We talk about innovation here on the show every week, local innovation. And this week, some local innovators had a big piece of news to pass along. A local biotech uh, life sciences company purchased for uh, the final price, thinking it's like $100 million or so. That's not chump change. By a Philadelphia company. Right. Which Would is going to keep the researchers here, add more space, build out more lab space, and... Uh, all of those who invested in that company who are local, those investors get a big payday, which, as we, we talk right. about, they then reinvest, and that's how you build a you know startup what's interesting? ecosystem. One of those investors, the state of Missouri, Missouri Technology Corporation. Oh, really? Yeah, was an early investor, and so they will uh, get a return on that. Which maybe they'll reinvest that into some other startups or right. some organizations like Arch Grants. Because as we've talked about, Missouri Technology Corporation is not... Uh, I guess the governor has essentially folded it, wanting to re, uh, re I guess, recreate it under his own uh, banner. So uh, hopefully we will get that going again. And then also we're going to talk about the total solar eclipse. And this is real popular, I guess. People are listing their homes, if they're in the path of totality, listing their homes on Airbnb, trying to make some cash. You know, it's a. Uh, but do you I, need to call your insurance company and do stuff like that if you, you rent that? out your house? How do you insure yeah. that? Uh, I wish we knew somebody that we could Man. talk to. I guess we could call State Farm. Let's call State Farm. Yeah, we'll see talk what they to have to say. Find out what they have to say about you know all these new uh, ways for people to make money, renting out their car, driving with Uber or Lyft. Uh, it's really creating uh, new opportunities for the insurance industry. And so we'll talk to State Farm about what some of those opportunities might be and uh, how you make sure that you don't get burned, not just burn your eyes, but get burned uh, by <laughs> a bad tenant during uh, Airbnb. And then also this week, uh, this past week marked three years since the uh, the shooting death of Michael Brown in Ferguson and the unrest that ensued. And uh, a lot of businesses have been trying to figure out how do we recover? How do we get people in the door? And we'll talk to uh, some folks with WashU and a program that's helping uh, provide some business insight to these small businesses in the Ferguson area. Yeah, and I think it's not only doing that, but it's getting WashU students off of what we hear and talk about is the WashU bubble off the campus and actually involve practical application of the skills that they're learning uh, infused into the Ferguson community. So yeah, we'll talk about that and learn about some of these great efforts that, that exist in our region. WashU students learning by doing. 
So that's all coming up on Nothing Impossible. We'll get right into it after this on The Voice of St. Louis KMOX. Very first thing in the morning, I, I like to know what's going on when I start my day. Then you need total information AM in your mornings. I like to know what went on overnight when I was sleeping. News. The national and local news uh, in the morning. Weather. I definitely have to know the forecast. Traffic. Just to make sure there's no accidents. Sports. We're big sports fans. Get all the information you need in your morning. U.S. News, World News. Local News. Weather. Traffic. All the sports. Yeah. With total information AM. I have it on during breakfast only on kmox st louis's news traffic and weather kmox keeping you up to date with frequent weather updates 24 hours a day on news radio 1120 kmox and now back to nothing impossible once again your hosts michael calhoun and travis sheridan on kmox all right welcome back to our weekly conversation about local innovation and startups and generally what's next we do it every week here on The Voice of St. Louis, Michael and Travis. This may not sound too innovative. People don't always think about the insurance industry as a place ripe for innovation. But as what we need insured changes, the insurance policies and programs change. Oh, sure. We're using our, our personal stuff, our homes where we live in, our cars that we drive to work every day as, uh, as ways to make a little bit of extra money. It's called the side hustle, Travis. There are a lot of side I. I've been a side hustler most of my life, uh, but I could not imagine that it would become just such a key part of the economy. Yeah. And so let's find out, you know, if, uh, for instance, the big solar eclipse is coming up. And so if I'm right in that zone and I've got a house and I'm like, this could be a chance to make some extra money. Maybe I'll list my home on Airbnb. Do I need to call State Farm about that? Maybe I'm driving an Uber. Do I need to call the insurance company? Let's bring in Jim Camariano from State Farm Insurance. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Absolutely. Good to be good to be on with you guys. Yeah. So tell us, uh, are there new insurance products people need to think about or how they insure their, their homes or personal property? Is it changing given this sharing economy? Absolutely. You, you mentioned the solar eclipse, and that's a great example. It's sort of like the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people want to have uh, parties over and they want to have people coming in. And, and so it's, it's renting out your home, your rooms, and that sort of thing. With the solar eclipse, uh, you just have to make sure you visit with your insurance agent to see if that is covered. Obviously, if you are home at the time, that's a little bit lower risk than if you're just to uh, leave the house yourself and turn it over to someone else. Um, some insurance companies will require notification. Uh, hey, just let us know that it's going to happen, that you're going to rent your home out before time. Others might require an endorsement. And what we have found is even some cities are now requiring homeowners to apply for a license before they rent out their property. So you got to look at how much time is going to be spent in the home, what it's going to be used for. So those are new questions that we're a lot of times we wrestle with. Uh, but the good thing is we do have endorsements. We also have our standard policy that typically covers these types of situations. Well, I would imagine what you know. The, my understanding of the insurance industry is that. Uh, you, it's all based on risk and uh, the, the chance of catastrophic failure or something along those lines. But there's a, a normal use case for things that are getting insured, right? There's a normal use case for how I drive my car. And so therefore, the insurance is based on that normal use case. or there's a normal use case as to what I do with my home. And things like driving people around uh, as a taxi <laughs> is a not a normal use case or renting out my ho- my home in a hospitality way is a no- not a normal use case. And I would imagine that would change the uh, the numbers on the back end for insurance companies and where risk I- is exists. That's right. It's all about risk. You know, 
back in the day, we all basically had the same car insurance rate, right? Other than being under 25 or uh, maybe your gender, all things about your driving record being equal, you'd get a standard rate. But, you know, even our own company was founded 95 years ago on the principle of differentiation based on risk. So our founder thought, you know, why should farmers pay, you know, more or the same on car insurance than uh, counterparts in cities that have thousands of cars and a lot more possible accidents? And so it really helped revolutionize the industry. And those things are happening all the time, whether it's autonomous cars, whether it's using your own car to make a buck. Um, again, you mentioned normal, normal use. And so insurances has to evolve at the same, if not faster pace to meet customers' needs. You mentioned with the Airbnb example, the difference just for, you can really zoom in on this, the difference between renting out your couch or the extra bedroom or even your basement versus here are the keys. I'll see you in a week. Enjoy the house. Right, right. And be mindful that homeowner's insurance is designed for owner-occupied properties. So whether it's a couch, running a room, a certain part, maybe the garage, uh, you know, those are those more and more. We're, we're going to see these types of situations where um, people are even starting small businesses in their homes. Is that commercial insurance? Typically is. But, but there's a lot of blurred lines on whether or not it's, okay, is this a business or is this just kind of a side hustle hobby, like, like you mentioned? So the best thing to do is a visit with your insurance agent and really nail those down. Some things to consider, even as a tenant, if the home is burglarized while they're renting it and their own stuff gets stolen, are they covered? So there's lots of questions that really have to sit across the table with and talk about. Well, I was talking to somebody that's in the hospitality industry. Uh, we were talking about the Airbnb experience and phenomenon, and and she had asked me if I had my house on Airbnb, would I be willing to pay the same uh, hospitality tax that the hoteliers have to pay, right? Because that does go into the coffers of the city and the and the region. And I said, absolutely. Like if I'm if I'm treating my home as if it were a hospitality you know, asset, then I should pay and be subject to the same hospitality taxes that a, that a hotelier has to pay, because if not, that's impacting our schools and our roads and our public safety and that type of thing. And I think that when we, uh, when we look at these new, this new economy, this gig economy, the share economy, uh, I think we, we see a lot of companies that are moving in that are promising shortcuts and uh, workarounds to, to regulations and industry. But in reality, if you're going to operate like a car company, a taxi company, or a hotelier, you probably need to be a, a, you know, subject to some of the same regulations, inspections, insurance, that type of thing. Would you, would you agree, Joe? And I think, uh, I think a lot of that is, is up to the municipalities. Yes, I think everybody should pay their fair share. When it comes to insurance, again, it's based on risk, what your own risk is, um, and then complying with all the local regulations, whatever those might be. Um, you know, it's interesting in certain parts of the country with distracted driving, uh, you might have a uh, state government that passes a law that says uh, there's no texting while driving, but then you have your cities within that state that say not only can you not text, but you can't even hold the phone up to your ear, so it's a lot, more t- it's a lot tougher. So then you get into the situation uh, of you drive from state to state, county to county, city to city, and it might be different. So there's a lot of regulations that you have to work through. Um, And so that's another layer on top of that. But what we try to do is we try to look at what is the risk that is presented to us, what are all the things that go into that, and how can we get the best, match the best price uh, 
to that risk. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so if you're listening and you want to get into this gig economy and this whole side hustle business of renting out your home or driving your car for Uber or Lyft, please consult your insurance agent. This is <laughs> Don't take this lightly because you don't want to be hit with a, a lawsuit or a loss that you just can't recoup. Yeah, and I'd say uh, we have our own innovation department at State Farm that's really tackling these issues, and I would encourage everybody that's listening is um, if you own a business – Start thinking about that. If you want to own a business, if you want to do something on the side yourself, talk to the right people. Do your research. I'd say the number one thing because, um, you know, there are going to be some things coming around the corner. What if someone comes up with a hovercraft that has wheels? Do we insure that as a motor vehicle or is that an aircraft? So those are some things that we really have to think through. And as if you're starting up a business, do I need identity theft insurance? What about copyright issues for those with online startups? And so it's, it's more than just having the passion. You've got to have a policy behind that. You mentioned um, autonomous cars. That's one of the new technologies that's on the way. And there might not even be um, a driver, you know, once we get past a certain a testing phase, uh, a driver behind this, the seats. So how could insurance work with autonomous cars? Um, and what else might be on the horizon besides beyond self-driving cars? What else is State Farm looking at that we're probably not even thinking about right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, again, you've got to look at what the customer demand is. That really drives our business. We commissioned a survey with Bloomberg government last year, and, that, and we found that only 30 to 40 percent of the population would be comfortable in a car that drives itself. And that 30 to 40%, they would only be comfortable in low-speed areas or rides that are no more than 10 minutes long, right? So there's still not an appetite for that. It's kind of cool, sounds really cool, but then again, entrusting your life, your passengers in technology to the point where there's no one taking the wheel, um, that there has to be an appetite for it. But we are investing heavily into research that's exploring partial versus full automat, uh, automatic cars, autonomous. So there are different phases. There are cars out there right now, as you know, that if it, if it weaves across the center line, it sounds an alarm, wakes you up, for example. There are other things that there's different levels of this. So you get to the point where it does everything for you. If you're in an accident, who's at fault? Mm -hmm. uh, is it the car company? Is it the person in front of you? Is it a component? Uh, manufacturer who made maybe that technology or is it the insurance company or the driver? So again, we've invested heavily into this and these are things that we're really exploring. Some things on the horizon, uh, I'm not privy to what the innovation department is looking at, but everything that is in the air or on the ground or in the water, believe me, we've got, we've got researchers uh, working overtime to make sure that customers uh, what they demand, that there's a product and a service out there to help them. Well, that just means we'll have to check back in with you as these uh, hovercrafts and autonomous cars make their way into our lives, I guess. <laughs> and people hey, got, that'd be, that'd be, people that'd got be to get their... Uh, you got to be the first to try it out, huh? Yeah, and, uh, you know, people got to get their drone insurance. It's in the air. Got to get that drone insurance. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks, guys. Jim Camariano, State Farm spokesman. We'll be back with more Nothing Impossible after this on KMOX.
Back to Nothing Impossible. Once again, your hosts, Michael Calhoun and Travis Sheridan on KMOX. Welcome back in, Michael and Travis with you. And let's talk about a new program at the Olin School at Washington University. It's called the Small Business Initiative. Yeah, and we have a couple of folks on the phone uh, to talk about that because, you know, we talk about innovation and sometimes usually people think innovation is big and grand and massive, but there's a lot of innovation and a lot of entrepreneurship happening in the area of small business. Yeah, so in this program, let's talk with Beth Doors, who's program administrator, and also Daniel Bentel, who's the director of the Center for Experiential Learning. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, both of you on KMOX. Thank you so much for having us. And so, Daniel, first off, tell us about the program, the Small Business Initiative, and uh, what you've been doing in the Ferguson North County area. Sure. So, the uh, our Small Business Initiative, as you referenced it, as we're calling it, is one of uh, eight different programs that we run through the center globally. And this one is specifically focused on supporting small businesses in North County in the Ferguson area, and then small businesses. Eventually, we'd like to grow it to include small businesses across the region. And so. Uh, Essentially, it's a management consulting service uh, that we've put together in which we deploy students, uh, student-driven, faculty-guided teams of some of our best undergraduate business students here at Washington University to support small business owners in the region with very basic sort of business needs. So uh, budgeting, accounting, uh, bookkeeping, uh, marketing management, uh, putting together business plans for new areas of their businesses. Uh, inventory management systems, that sort of thing, and putting their skill set to use because our students here at, at the university want to get outside of the, quote, wash you bubble, get out there and start applying their, their skill set. So we had a massive, we have a massive resource in our students and uh, a responsibility to get involved in the community. So just a little over two years ago now, we, uh, we modeled this program based on a number of other different uh, services we provide to global corporations and uh, NGOs and startups around the globe and, and focused it directly in kind of the Ferguson area. Uh, started putting together some of the teams of our best of the best uh, to work with some of the clients that St. Louis Economic Development Partnership has helped us to identify. So it's been running, I think, four semesters now, Beth. Is that right? That is correct. Absolutely. And what type of businesses are you working with um, out there in Ferguson area? Uh, so a couple of more recent ones that uh, that have been uh, clients of ours, and one the Wing House, uh, there's been a frame shop uh, in, in the uh, Ferguson North, North City area. Uh, uh, there's been uh, a couple of other restaurants, uh, small shops that uh, have been clients of ours who have very similar needs, being uh, a decrease in, in, uh, in foot traffic and, and, uh, and business overall since uh, the unrest and of a couple of years ago, uh, basic kind of budgeting and finance uh, kind of needs, just kind of getting their books books in order, uh, creating new ways to draw in new business, and so a lot of the projects end up looking very similar and kind of in their needs, but of course the businesses themselves uh, being a little different in size and, and, and industry and scope, but the needs across the board being uh, very consistent with the kind of skill set and the business acumen that our, our students are our, uh, our, our building while they're here as undergraduates. What does it seem like the biggest challenge has been? I mean, for some of them, has it been a physical because of what we saw during the unrest, or has it been uh, the business fundamentals, like you just mentioned, getting their books in order and figuring out the expenses versus revenue, or has it been a marketing thing and just trying to get more people to go to the Ferguson area 
um, and patronize the businesses that are around there and, and change uh, people's perceptions about it. What do you think has been the biggest challenge? You know, our students, what's so unique about our students is, is one, they really want to get engaged and they want to be able to apply those business concepts that they're learning in the classroom. They want to get engaged within the St. Louis community. And this is a great avenue for them to do so. And one of the struggles that they have is, is what Daniel said, that that this is real life. Projects are pivoting. Um, things are happening. Uh, you know, when we think about books in a classroom, we're thinking about here's the answer. It's already there in some type of formula or some type of way. And the ambiguity that they're able to experience within the project, in addition to the learning that they're able to see on the front line of these small business owners, to be able to see them in action to be able to see how they're able to process this information. You know, our, um, our clients equally as our students are in that learning process and, and really thinking through how can we deliver that impact? How can we get that success for that small business owner? So, you know, our students are able to, to navigate that and really learn about that real world application. All right, Daniel and Beth, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Michael Travis, thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll be back after this on KMOX. Welcome back. We're going to uh, listen to Michael's conversation with Joe Monahan with Confluence and Eric Golvey with BioGenerator about the exit and the acquisition of Confluence. So what is this great news that we're here for today? Give us the, uh, first off, what Confluence is and, and what this deal is. All right, so Confluence is a drug discovery company that was formed in 2010 following uh, Pfizer's exit from Discovery Research in St. Louis, and a team of ex-Pfizer scientists got together and um, had some ideas, got support from the biogenerator, and started up the company. And what we do is two things. One is we have um, drug discovery efforts where we are looking for new drugs to treat hard to treat cancer as well as chronic inflammatory disease and we have a second part of the company that's involved with um, doing contract research for other drug companies and small biotechs. And so tell me about this deal with the Philadelphia company. What does this mean for for you, for the company, and for St. Louis? Yeah, so it's great news for I think all three. Um, Number one, it provides a return uh, on for our investors on what they invested in Confluence. Uh, Secondly, um, we have a number of drug discovery um, projects that we now be able to accelerate with additional funding coming from Aclaris. Thirdly, we do drug discovery in Confluence. Aclaris has drug development and clinical development as well as a commercial team. So now we can bolt on a drug discovery effort that will now take our um, compounds from early discovery through Um, into the patient and into the market. And so we now have a complete pharmaceutical company. Uh, Thirdly, uh, I think around for St. Louis, uh, the decision was made to keep Confluence here in St. Louis, uh, to keep the 40 scientists that we have within the company here, to grow the company, to continue to do our service part of the organization for other drug companies as well as to support the internal portfolio. So we're going to grow in St. Louis, we're going to probably move to a different footprint, a different site, and we'll probably add somewhere between 20 and 30 jobs over the next three years. Why do you think, what was so 
enticing about St. Louis and the workforce, the team that you've built that this company decided we're not only going to maintain the St. Louis presence, but we're going to increase it? So I think the uh, w when we first started Confluence, what we had was we had some reasonably good ideas, and we had um, incredible, talented people that had just come out of Pfizer. Uh, that were drug hunters, had a lot of experience and technical capabilities. And what we were missing was the, um, we're scientists, we're not business people. So we relied on the biogenerator, number one, for mentorship around starting a company and also for um, both um, funding and um, facilities. And so when we put all that together, um, we had this team that were able to move out of Pfizer into Confluence. And I think that team was able to drive our drug discovery programs to a point where they were of interest to a company like Aclaris. And I think we saw this maybe after the Anheuser-Busch purchase, for instance. You know, St. Louisans look at these, these buyouts maybe with a, a dash of pessimism. But when there's a deal like that with Pfizer, like you just said, um, you have these free agents, I guess you could say, who then go out and do their own projects and create something brand new that, you know, St. Louis wouldn't have necessarily had before. That's correct. I think that um, there are a lot of smart scientists at the universities in St. Louis and the smart scientists around St. Louis area. But drug hunters uh, are tough to come by. And to have this cohort of people and scientists with this experience available from all different technology uh, areas was just uh, something that we had to take advantage of. And again, through the biogenerator and MTC, we were able to do that. Yeah, Eric, just like we have so many breweries now that are helmed by XAB folks, how many companies are there in St. Louis, bioscience companies, that are helmed by folks who came from Searle and Pfizer and, and that string of companies? Yeah, we've started a number of companies over time. Confluence is certainly by far the largest um, company employing folks uh, that have come from industry, and that's in large part because of their business model, that they can sell services as well as developing their internal portfolio of drug candidates. And that was really important to us, but that's a model from a business perspective that's pretty challenging um, to work with because there are certain investors that really don't want to have a lot to do with the service-type business. It's sort of cleaner for them to keep a small staff and focus just on an internal uh, portfolio of drug candidates. Um, but this is a model that we really wanted to wrestle with and see if we could prove it out. And um, so it's worked extremely well in this case um, we're and that's one of our goals so at biogenerator what we're trying to do is help transform the economy help build the businesses tomorrow and help create jobs in the process and do that inside of companies that are doing things that transform human health whether that be through new medicines such as the things that confluence is doing or advances in agriculture food and nutrition medical devices diagnostics things that will impact human health out in the future but they need to create jobs at the same time and so in this particular case we really have a win-win as joe said in that the investors that have backed confluence for a, a period of time now will be repaid um, with a return on their investments but we haven't lost the company in the process. And that's what was so critical to us when Pfizer announced that it was essentially abandoning uh, the, their local efforts here at Small Molecule Drug Discovery, and we knew that, was, that a lot of people could be leaving town at that time. That was a big focus of ours, of trying to retain as much of that talent as possible here in St. Louis, and we've definitely done that with this particular company. When you're trying to build a community, an ecosystem like you are in St. Louis, um, you know, everybody's looking for 
the first big exit, I suppose. And for po- folks who don't know, you know, an exit, talk about what, what does that mean? And for the investors, how does that help create the self-fulfilling, you know, that you're looking for in, in, in an ecosystem? I and mean, what does it mean to have a big exit like this? Yeah. So, so let me explain the background. It, that companies like this that are developing things that change uh, human health almost always have to go through processes that are regulated by the FDA. So they have to have a new medicine approved or a diagnostic approved or a a new agricultural crop approved. All of those are extremely expensive, very lengthy, and risky. It takes a lot of money to fund those types of operations, tens of millions of dollars in most cases. And so in order to be able to do that continuously in St. Louis, we have to be able to attract capital from outside of the region. We have to find those investors who live in San Francisco, San Diego, Boston, and attract them to the kinds of companies we're building here in time, over time. And the way to do that is to demonstrate to those investors that you have built some companies here that do have a great exit and have provided returns to their investors. Confluence is the first big exit in our portfolio, and we hope that what that's going to do is essentially provide a story that will attract other investors over time and will also attract other talent. The kinds of gaps we have in terms of different types of talent. Joe talked about the synergies between the talent that is resident today at Eclaris and the talent that Confluence brings to the table. We need to find some additional talent that where we have gaps here in St. Louis today, and by having a great story, we'll be in a better position to attract those types of people to this region over time. How do you summarize the St. Louis bioscience industry right now? Um, you know, KMOX listeners might remember when I went to Boston and we talked about touring Lab Central and those kinds of facilities. And you know, how does St. Louis, you're building this, and, and at what point are we right now? Yeah, I would say we're probably at the teenage stage, to be, to be honest. Um, you know, this effort was started from scratch. We didn't have a community that had done a lot of things in recent decades on the entrepreneurial side of things. We have a tremendous corporate presence. We have tremendous research base at our research university but we did not have a community that was used to entrepreneurial endeavors. We've had to build all of that as a region from scratch. And so over time, we've begun to do that. We've made really important strides. And what's happened is we developed the first sources of capital for companies. Then we had to to essentially create the next level of capital. Um, And so we've gotten to the point, point where we can finance the best of our companies really well. But what that requires them to do is to take that big financing and use that to drive all the way to the exits that we were talking about a few moments ago. So we're now getting big financings, and we have to prove that those companies are worthy and can actually drive to the exits in the same fashion that Confluence has here. What does it mean for Biogenerator to have this kind of success story? And even, I mean, not just with the facilities and that sort of thing, but investing in taking equity right in some of these these companies to have a success like this does this mean more resources for biogenerator to go out and invest in more companies and just keep the cycle going Absolutely. We're, we are structured as a nonprofit, and what we do is we come in really early when things are more risky within uh, nascent companies. We take the risk to try to build a portfolio of companies in St. Louis over time, whereas investors that um, need to make profits to return them to the folks who fund those um, investor groups 
have to focus on later stage opportunities where they have a better probability of returning capital. So uh, we are self-sustaining. So money that comes back in from an exit such as the one we're experiencing now can then be redeployed back into the biogenerator budget. So whether you're a for-profit investor who invested in Confluence or whether you're a biogenerator, those returns will come back. In our case, they'll re be redeployed to fund additional companies here and build out the things that we're doing here in St. Louis. And for a for-profit investor, that's a pure profit and it's up to them to decide whether or not this experience has been rewarding and they want to deploy some of that capital back into the next company here. I have to ask, what are some of the ailments that you've focused on or some of the therapies that you've been able to come up with or just some examples of what Confluence has been working on? Yeah, so we have uh, right now three ongoing programs at Confluence. Uh, our lead program is looking at um, a particular uh, protein from a particular family called kinases. And the target there is a protein that regulates um, a particular um, uh, inflammatory gene called TNF-alpha. And regulation of TNF-alpha has been shown to be critical for uh, chronic inflammatory diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, um, psoriasis, uh, inflammatory bowel disease, for example. Uh, we have a second program that regulates another immune cell called the T cell, um, and we're interested in that primarily for um, psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. Okay. Did you say there were three? Yeah, the third program is a little bit earlier, and it has to do with regulation of uh, the immune system to modulate cancer, sort of immunotherapy around cancer, and so it unlocks the immune system to attack cancer, and that, again, is another uh, of the same gene family of kinase targets. So those are the three programs we have. All right, there we go. That was a lot of news. We do it every week here on Nothing Impossible. Tune in next week and we'll keep talking about it. See you then. Thanks for joining us. Bye. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.